welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay, and happy to welcome to the show Cam Sully from the Jacked Up Review Show podcast. Cam, thanks so much for coming on, man. I've had a chance to be on your show a couple times. Glad to have you on Filmstrip here. Tell folks a little bit about yourself and uh, how they can follow your fine show. Anchor, Podbean, and plenty of other opportunities allow you to listen to us weigh in on a cult film or TV franchise. We also sum up books and food. Yeah. Yeah. You guys talk about all of it. So that, that's what makes it a lot of fun. And uh, as always, guests, uh, first time guests pick the movie. And uh, well, <laughs> we got questions because today we're talking about Bent starring Carl Urban, Sofia Vergara, Grace Byers, Vincent Spano, John Finn and Andy Garcia. Written and directed by Bobby Moresco, based on the novel Deadly Codes by J.P. O'Donnell. Released in 2018, mm. limited theatrical screening, and then straight to VOD and rental. So I, I ask you, why, you brought Bent to me, and I said, okay, yeah, that, that looks interesting. Let's give that a shot. Background with this movie, man. Where, where did you find this one? I had always... I kept hearing about it. I kept seeing it getting recommended on my Amazon Prime when it was on there. Now it's on Tubi and Plex, but... I had heard so much about it, how I was like, okay, so this is kind of a Serpico Taken-ish movie and Carl Urban's getting to be the lead. That's rare, you know, and I'm glad for him, you know, other than Dread, he's often just been second, third or fifth build, you know? So, yeah. But it, it was kind of in production hell for a while. I didn't know if, I don't, I don't remember who distributed it, but it just seemed like it was a, once again, just a pretty quick shoot in like Atlanta or New Orleans and no one knew what to do with it despite it catering to action fans. Uh, I had heard so much about it too. Like people hyped up how it was Sofia Vergara getting nude for the first time and in, in a serious role. And then there was plenty of other talk about how it was again, you know, it was a tell about corruption and it was, I, but I didn't know it was based on a book. So I'm glad you outlined that for, for me before we started the episode. <laughs> Yeah, it, from what I understand, the 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 words based on are loosely uh, based on. Uh, yeah, they they made Name a few only. Uh, Bobby Moresco uh, read this and said, "Yeah, I could do that," but and he changed like all, so much of the names and stuff. I think the Danny Gallagher character is the the thing that hangs on because it's a apparently that's a, a recurring thing for J.P. O'Donnell. I don't know anything about these books. I didn't bother to go try to find it. I just you know read a little bit about the book and I, I took it as you know one of those uh, what I would call like grocery store action novels like the Mac Bolin series or you know any of those things. And I'm like okay you know those have a place in the world though. And I'm glad you mentioned this is on Tubi because I've had this conversation with Ron on Filmstrip before that action movies need a place like Shutter. Or whatever. And and he said, yeah. well, they could do that. He said, but honestly, Tubi is kind of that. And looking through the Tubi list, I'm like, oh, yes, you're correct. And Tubi started doing a bunch of original stuff this year. So, I mean, it's yeah. co-owned by one of its owners is Fox. So I think they're going to keep they, they may very well start doing that where they do like 
they're more crackle than crackle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's more, it's more of that kind of stuff. So I, but I'm, I'm with you. It's not often you see Carl Urban as the lead in something these days. Uh, He's usually again, one of the characters in your ensemble or something like that. And I've always found him to be a very fun presence in everything he's done. Even going back to that, somewhat dreadful doom movie that he was in with the rock you know? like, <laughs> i mean it's that's not he very good but it's hard as reaper <laughs> yeah but that is, name a, him that is a fun movie if it's not good i don't think he would have been in the star trek reboots had he not been in that right right but it. you know what those star, but at, at star trek i mean he's doing a straight up deforest kelly impersonation and a pretty darn good one i'm like you know that's that ain't half bad you get this new zealander and he pulls he off a big fan, I, so yeah he, yeah i mean and look as a, as a southerner i'm i often get really annoyed at how hollywood tries to do southern accents from people who don't know how to do them but there's something about like kiwis man like the australians and the new zealanders get by accident so they're I'm, in the country, so they kind of they yeah. got some of that twang. But yeah, you're you're right. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe before Walton Goggins came along, it seemed like everybody just was just quoting the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> right. Well, Walton Goggins can only sound like the part of Georgia he's from because that's just what he is. I don't think he's got another mode. Uh, but yeah, it. I, I appreciate <laughs> that. And and to quote Jeff Fox, where the rednecks are all over the world. So <laughs> you know that's that Carl Urban coming from this, I could see yes. it. So I was game for this. I didn't know the Sofia Vergara bit until I was reading background in the movie. And you say like that was the big word. She was the one putting that out there. Like this was a thing. And I think this was at the height of when modern family had, had hit and everybody was just enamored with her and Mm -hmm. granted, I mean, yes, she, she is gorgeous and all that, but she's also incredibly funny. So for her to play something that's a little more straight and serious and kind of this, I don't know. We'll talk about what her character really is in this movie and stuff. It it was different at the time. And so I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm interested enough to go, You've caught me on the premise. You've got a couple of stars I like. Andy Garcia is going to be the geezer teaser here. So he's obviously going to be, you know, the the more respectable person or whatever. But obviously he's going to have a pivotal role. And then you're, you open up with an explosion. I'm down. So I mean, that's what I knew from the movie. And I said, okay, I, I'll give this a shot. And so, yeah, I, but otherwise I would have never known this existed. So I, I don't seek out a ton of straight VOD action films and oh, it's not man. that i dislike them i just don't i just don't look for them because if i'm going straight to vod stuff my, my genre is like the horror stuff i go for that and i try to see what that is because you know well, Shutter, Scott all that Atkins. Come on now. yeah yeah so i mean you know but but i'm not opposed to it again and i've, I've made a lot of friends particularly through the years and on, on the podcast part of film twitter that are big action fans and stuff and so i'm trying to do more of this so it's fun to catch these things because action films nowadays it's I'm trying to sit here and think, man, like the last time I saw one that I felt like was remotely an original premise, you know, like mm-hmm. there's, there's not a time out there. And so I think more of them go to something like this and not that this is the most original premise, but it's got some twists in it that I didn't see coming. And so, um, yeah, I was down to give this a shot and, uh, yeah, should, should be an interesting. Now, just in general, those kind of, where are you on action films? Do you go to the, the VOD action film, uh, corner of the world? I was always second to it, but, don't get me wrong. I knew it could easily backfire any of them. And it just mileage just was always going to vary just because Ed, by, by the nineties, they were just everywhere. They were just popping up on USA network, TNT, even Cinemax and just everything. And just, I knew that 
it was just kind of part of the market. Just if you didn't release it with a famous Kung Fu star, then you just gave it to another TV actor or another low grade B movie actor. And just, so I got, I ate it all up. I, I saw so many different kinds of personas and, well, once again, when the man on fire and taken phase took uh, started becoming a big integral part of that market, uh, I, I was pretty much down to see any beloved actor do their own revenge movie. <laughs> so, and, and I'm glad you said that like that because this is definitely a revenge flick, and it's we're going to get them, you know, for for doing us wrong. And I, I didn't watch a trailer on this. I really just turned to the, the TV, watched the first, I watched the first <laughs> few minutes, and and I was like, I can just imagine if this had been made in a different time, it'd be like Danny Gallagher went to prison, and now Teddy he's going to get everybody that got him. You know, Charlie <laughs> Bronson, or I mean, Carl Urban is Danny right? Exactly. Yes, it's very much a Bronson Death, Death Wish three to five era. Um, <laughs> Chuck Norris, Code of Vengeance, all of that stuff. So. Yeah. Everything that Liam Neeson and Frank Grillo do nowadays, he's doing here, basically. Yes. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, I was down. So I, I imagine though a lot of the audience hasn't seen this. So I'm going to do a quick plot summary, and then we can, we can talk about what works, what doesn't in this movie called Dent. Because they're going to say the name of this movie a lot in the movie, uh, just so you know. We'll be hell-bent on review. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Danny Gallagher, Carl Urban, is a good narcotics detective, but when a bus goes bad and his partner Charlie is killed by a kingpin named Driscoll, Gallagher's left wounded and framed as a crooked cop. Danny goes to prison, serves his time, and he gets out, and he goes to the one person he can trust, retired detective and mentor Jimmy Murtha. Danny uses his police and underworld connections and undercovers an elaborate plot involving a mysterious government agent, Rebecca, played by Sofia Vergara, and... Things get even more complicated when Danny learns his old partner was on the take due to gambling debts. Driscoll bought these debts and then had Danny in his pocket or had Charlie in his pocket and turned on Danny the night of the bus when everything went wrong. So Danny tracks down a money trail that only to learn Rebecca was using him all along to get to the money or something. I'm not really sure how that happens. We'll talk about it. He kills her and an accomplice in a gunfight. And I thought the movie was over, but there's another 12 minutes. So then Danny goes to Jimmy, who inadvertently reveals details only someone with too much knowledge would know about Driscoll. And when he's confronted, Jimmy tells him how he got caught up in Driscoll's web and how the bus wasn't supposed to go that way, but it did. So Danny demands to know where Driscoll is, and he moves in for his final revenge. But Jimmy gives him an address all right, but not the right one, because Jimmy goes to warn Driscoll, as he's told he's going to have to do to protect his own family. And in a knife fight with Driscoll, he kills his bodyguard, and then they stab each other to death. But you know, not before Jimmy's alive long enough for Danny to call him and ask him what's going on. And Jimmy tells him, "I've bought you one more day, and that's all you need." And as he dies, Danny realizes he's at the house of his one-time singer girlfriend Kate, freeing him from his emotional toll of revenge. And he reunites with her in the rain in the driveway as credits roll. And it's a pretty simple story, but. It has a twist there that I am going to just say flat out, man, I did not see coming. I did not see coming at the end that that, that it was going to be the old man taking out the other old man that, uh, you know, Carl Urban wouldn't get a, a blaze of glory here at the end. But, uh, yeah, you know, first impressions of this and the way this set up and bus goes bad, I felt like I was watching – something that owed a lot to the usual suspects and the way the bust on the, the heroin bust on the boat goes and all that stuff. 
don't know if you right. got that vibe or not, but very much felt like that. Yeah, it is a similar. It's just a totally rooted in kind of it's an eighties plot with a nineties kind of format. Yeah. It's and just relentless cat and mouse that you can't go in a scene without the hero bleeding or just getting in a bar fight and just kind of thinking to himself is like, what kind of a w- intriguing web am I in? <laughs> right. Right. I mean, we, you know, we see this guy and it goes bad. There's lots of shooting. And one thing I'll say about the action in this movie, and it, it made me just feel great because so much time nowadays action is it's all CGI and all that stuff. And I was talking to Matt Bledsoe on film feast about this once and, and how the, there's just something sort of neat about seeing actual practical squibs again in, in gunfights and movies. And I was like, Oh, real squibs. Like when he shoots the big, like fat guy on the boat or whatever, like he has to shoot him several times first. So I'm like, Ooh, realistic gunplay. And, and secondly, like, Oh, like real squibs. Like they talked that actor into wearing that. That was kind of cool. I mean, I, yeah, I appreciated that. I was really surprised, but yeah, it was going by London as, uh, Olympus has fallen kind of logic is like, okay, do some CGI blood here and there, but you're still using actual, just, you know, the actors actually getting hit by, a prop gun. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's that going on. And you've, again, you've got for a, for a movie that's made on the cheap and let's not lie. It was, they, I didn't get budget information in this, but they didn't spend a ton on this. No. Like the sound design in it is really good. I mean, if you've been around, if you've ever been somebody that's been around like guns when they fire and stuff, they sound absolutely nothing like what most Hollywood movies make them sound no. like. Not even. And this is what most of those guns would sound like if you fired them. Like that's what a nine millimeter Beretta sounds like when you fire it. Like it's, it's got a very unique rapport. And so I, I, I enjoyed just those little subtle details of this, even though I wasn't sure what the hell was going on for most of the movie here at the first. Cause I was like, wait a minute, who, who's who, like what happened here? I, there was a scene in the bar. We're watching this it gets woman very convoluted seeing. Yeah. And I was like, what happened? Like I'm, I missed who died. Things. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I don't want to jump too soon to it, but yeah, it, it did have some moments where you're like, I mean, you could watch this if you're doing laundry versus one an easygoing Friday night movie. I guess yeah. then the question is, is it more of a Saturday or Sunday movie? Right, right. Like it, it's one of those that it doesn't ask a lot of you, but I'll say as someone who did watch it and like put eyes on it, because I realized like I'm only going to really get to see this once. So I've got to you know make sure I catch all of it. And I'm the same way when I do the TV show reviews. I'm like, uh, it, you know, I can't binge watch a whole season. I gotta right. Yeah. I've got, I've got to pay attention to this for what it is now. And so I'm watching it and you know, it's an hour and a half, but it's really about a, an hour and 20 minutes of this, the opening bit where the woman walks out to the car and it blows up. And I, I think we're to believe she was one of Driscoll's people who was somehow or another an informant with like Charlie and Danny, but yeah. she was also like the lesbian lover of the Sofia Vergara agent who was a double agent. I don't know how all of that worked. I just know that she was connected to Driscoll. It's very convoluted, but it's yeah. like when you get when you put it all together, you're like, well, most of it for what you can. It, it does make you wonder: was some stuff filmed but not included? Did a producer take this over? You know, because like like you say, a lot of these movies they shoot fast now, and then again, the studio can decide. You know, they love you know putting collecting money on any kind of table. Mm-hmm. It's like, so yeah, it can be in a few select theaters at the same time that you can order from your cable TV or internet provider. So it, it is interesting how 
this one just kind of, again, it just slipped through the cracks, like the very conspiracy on screen. And we don't, it takes us a while to incorporate what's truly going on. And I mean, even the whole corruption angle, when it starts involving cops, that's literally the plot twist. So to get, so yeah, spoiler, but yeah, this is like, it, it, it only really fathoms in there. It weighs in there in like the last 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And so, so, I mean, all, all of that happens in the first like five or six minutes, we get the bust going bad. And, and, you know, I, I more or less went with the action scene. I was kind of blown away by Driscoll as a big bad, who's actually his own trigger man. I'm like, well, I mean, how big of a kingpin are you? If you're actually shooting folks, like, don't you have people to do that for you? Like usually that how that works <laughs> usually, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was tough to predict. And it was also, like you say, I mean, you're pretty much seeing crime at its most ruthless level mm-hmm. where, uh, basically, yeah. Uh, uh, they're, they're just so petty. They're just so reliant on, you know, all these other guys, uh, just doing everything for them that <laughs> there's, once they get into that gear, there's really just no stopping them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, was, it was interesting. But on the other hand, I was like, okay. And maybe that's where I got usual suspects from was the the way he looks at Danny when he shoots him. But he, he shoots him, but he doesn't kill him. Like, he leaves him alive. Because obviously, they're going to pin... All of this on Danny and the whole idea of being bent that, you know, that's crooked. That's your, you're a crooked cop. You're bent or whatever, which, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different definitions of bent where, where, uh, uh, Carl Urban is from. There's a whole other definition for that. Like (laughs) it's not appropriate for, uh, any company at all. So I'm sure it was, you know, funny for him to sort of, you know, have to say this over and over and over again through this, but the idea of that there's corruption everywhere. I think you called out Serpico, definitely an influence here to some of this. And what I find is neat is that the flash forward is he's in prison and at no time does he try to like fight anybody or, or maybe he just feels powerless to do so, but he serves his time in prison. It's almost like the opening to oceans 11 when he's getting out. Yeah. He pretty much wants him to face everything that you often encounter in a prison because it involves his, the death of his part, his partner. But yeah, it is one of those. It's like, He's it, it's pretty much it gives that a bit more authenticity because, you know, police are known for being looking, you know, uh, turning a blind eye to those who they serve under, even if they're not necessarily doing something illegal, if they're still kind of in a gray area, they just like to because that's just basically, unfortunately, the politicized society we're in now is just if you snitch on a cop, you're instantly considered a rat or no different than the criminals they prosecute. So. Right. I think at this point, he's just like, you're you're just a scumbag and I want you to, you know, uh, pay for what you've done. But at the same time, he also I he just doesn't he wants the law to just take effect because he's already just been through hell and back just trying to he barely made it makes it to the end of the movie. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, we'll talk about the beating that Carl Urban takes. Oh, which in this one? Movie. I lost track after the first punch. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he, he, he gets, he, he definitely is the timex um, of, of this, uh, this whole film and the way this thing goes down. But I, don't know, I liked the idea of how, how it, unfolds where the the one person that's still left in his life because we've seen the girlfriend kate singing at at the club at her club or whatever and he's enamored with her this is before he goes on the big bust and and whatnot but i i thought it was pretty cool the way that he gets out and he he gets picked up by andy garcia the jimmy character 
and he's retired and it's his only friend and he trusts him. He's like, look, I know, you know, that, that what and how uh, you wanted to go and that you were probably innocent, but you couldn't get out of it. But you know, you did your time. Everything's going to be cool. And the, like Carl Urban is here in none of that. Like, he's like, no, I've already got my whole like revenge laid out. And I love how Jimmy tells him the story about this pocket knife that like you, and I don't even remember all of it, but it's it, it, immediately when he's telling it, I'm like, well, this is Chekhov's pocket knife. Somehow this is going to come back. I don't know how, but like, it, my, my thought was like, Jimmy's bad. He's going to stab him with it later or try to, or something like that. And that it, it's almost too close. To yeah. Yeah. But it's like this, my father gave me this and he, I was going to take it out of this guy once, but I decided not to be Johnny from the outsiders and you know, so, <laughs> or whatever, you know, I mean, that was kind of the story. I don't, it didn't matter. Pony boy. Yeah. Stay gold, pony boy to do a really bad Ralph Macchio. So the next, Oh, well, no, he could just play bear dairy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He could. Yeah. He could have just been dairy. but, oh, but, I mean, Andy Garcia is like you watch him now and it's, I have to separate like when I first was introduced to him in the 90s, you know, and he was a <laughs> suave, cool guy. And then you watch him in the Oceans movies, you know, and he's just he's Mr. Cool and he's always like ruthless kind of guy. And now, I mean, he's an older guy and he's just kind of schlubbing Black around. Rain, and, but yeah, <laughs> post Oceans 11, he did he did seem to be in a lot of questionable roles. But yeah, I mean, yeah. after Geostorm and uh, what's the other one? Redemption Day, where he's playing politicians. Right. Like now, this. yeah, like you put a suit on him and all that, or you can just put him in like some you know, fishing clothes and a, and an old fedora. And he's, you know, this, this retired cop who's selling bait, you know, for fishing or whatever, right? It was a um, houseboat thing. I'm with you. He was really showing his age here. And there looked like there were several scenes where he, he looked like he did a dialogue flub or there was some ADR, but like his oh, final yeah. line, when he's talking to Danny, Carl Urban's character, he, he just seemed like he was croaking out his line. I'm like, damn, is he, yeah, no, I mean, it's like, man, I mean, I, but yeah, the thing is, like, he actually gets an action scene and it's him because it's up close and stuff. And this movie yeah. got enough money for no damn stunt doubles. So, I mean, it's, it's him. Scene, but that's it. So I guess I don't know. I don't know if yeah. he got injured or what. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I was impressed with what he did, but I, I, I knew immediately something was up. I was like, well, he's obviously doing the Mr. Miyagi speech here, or whatever, <laughs> but this is going to go bad because everybody in this movie is going to be bad. And then we get Danny who goes, I mean, he's got a friend who's kept all of his stuff and, and he's kept his old Jeep green Cherokee, put some tires on it and a battery for him. He's got guns. He's got a suitcase full of cash and random clothes. So like before he went to prison, he like liquidated his life, you know, and said, well, clearly I'm going to go away for a few years. It's like so he knew he was going down and it's yeah. a cool angle to see a bad cup taking down other, you know, bad apples you know right i mean what, that's the thing is like you what you learn is that he actually was a straight cop but because he got betrayed or whatever he's like all right fine we're gonna play it that way then i can play that game too and so he he takes his underworld connections he gets his stuff together and um you know he goes on a, a hellbent tour for revenge man and I I wanted to ask you about that. Like the the way he goes about dispatching people in this movie. That's one thing I'll really compliment Bobby Moresco on is shooting action scenes in tight scenery is not an easy thing for a director to do. Tony Scott is great at that or was great at that. Um, I didn't Michael think Bay that, can yeah. be good at it. This movie is actually a lot better than it deserves to be in, in those moments. 
yeah, because you know, they could have done the billionth, you know, quick cut, you know, born identity taken, you know, which is a like it or hate it angle, mm-hmm. but it's commonly used. And they could have even done a Captain America, you know, or Die Hard type uh, elevator fight. But yeah, no, for the most part, it's just, yeah, you get a lot of distorted views around angles and uh, it, there's not too many quick cuts or anything. It's all pretty much like in one take and then, you know, ends with like someone, you know, getting beat up against a curb or uh, face planted or pistol whipped. And mm-hmm. it, like, like you say, it, it, it just feels like it's just raw. And uh, I, I did some looking at Moresco. He created some of my favorite shows like the Black Donnelly's and was one of the co-writers on Crash, even wrote on other Canadian shows like Millennium, the X-Files spinoff. So I was like, okay, cool. I Yeah, <laughs> so he's... He's done some good work. Like you, you can see he's got a pedigree that comes from a, a real place and has, he knows how to stage this kind of stuff and make it in a way that the music pumps through just right. And the, the beat at lasts long enough, but there's a realism to it too. Like, you know, Carl Urban doesn't just mow through people like they're, you know, their butt or like Arnold Schwarzenegger would do or something. Like <laughs> he gets his ass kicked. I would love to lot. see that. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. It's, it's very contained and uh, everyone always seems to have like a holy shit look on their face and yeah. like, Oh no, he's coming for me. But even when he finds out, the main traitor behind this whole thing. He's like, no, you damn dirty dog. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, but I mean, it is tropey in a way, but on the other hand, like it's fun to watch him mow through all these just useless people. Cause it's almost like you're watching cutscenes from Max Payne video games, you know, that's a great contrast. Yeah. This is a Punisher Max Payne type storyline. And, but like you say, like instead of pl- the actors playing to the camera or it being a cheesy, you know, rendition of a comic book, they they do pretty good at just just doing little small nuances, and that kind of just makes the cliches feel like somewhat plausible for the most part. And yeah, but it is weird. It is such a weird mashup because it could have easily backfired. It could have easily been the billionth, you know, shit fest with Bruce Willis, John Travolta, or Nick Cage, and it's like instead it's a very straightforward uh you know it's playing to that taken crowd and then i mean the actors do have enough to work with in that uh, there's just like five different layers to their character so by the end of the movie they're not the same person and that's before they get into the various serious circumstances that surround the whole complex so yeah yeah and so that brings me to one of my first questions who the hell is rebecca it doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't think it matters, not, but I think, but I'm uh, maybe it's a MacGuffin, you know. Maybe I mean you were mentioning Usual Suspects, so yeah, it could very well be Kieser Soze. She doesn't yeah, actually, she doesn't I, actually exist. She's just an alias to throw I mean, off. Is, is she a, a fantasy of his? Because uh, Danny's got some interesting fetishes. If that's the case, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I don't. Yeah, like I. I want to make sure I understand this. And I'm asking because I legitimately, I watched this movie one time, so I wasn't sure I caught all of it. But she's with some nameless government agency. And I think Carl Urban has some goofy line, like you're the CIA, the CFU, the who cares, you know, <laughs> like he did some joke. I love it. that line because that was just a perfect illustration. I mean, yes, he does deliver it in an over the top manner, but 
This is kind of where he went a little Gerard Butler, where he's just spouting it out. Just kind of right. just illustrating that is like, whoever you work for, I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> right. Like, it's obviously you're, you're underground. I can't touch you. So whatever. Who cares what you are? But it's clear to me that, you know, you were the lesbian lover of, you know, this ex from Driscoll who he blew up and who ratted me out or whatever. Is that who she is? And the thing is, she's like extorting money out of Driscoll and then she falls in love with Danny and is going to split it with him or is she always just going to run off with the dough? Cause there's this like random accountant that she, you know, shoots too. that I, it's all a part of it. Oh, that's just it because of the tabloids talking about how risque this movie was. And even, and uh, it's not, can we just say right now, like she drops her robe, you see her back, like, come on, like, this is, like you see more on, <laughs> on Yellowstone than you do in this. It was brief, but yeah, I mean, I, what, what was weird though was it, I kind of did get a neo-noir aspect from this whole thing. This is totally mm. what I would see in a Bogart kind of movie from the forties, but uh, this is the big sleeping kind of a way, but yeah, but I, I I'm with you. It, it, it takes, it takes a while to get used to that. And you do kind of, because we're just so used to movies being done differently. And it, it took me a bit to realize it's like, Oh, that's right. This is kind of a old, what James Elroy made a career, you know, writing about. So yes. Yeah. Sort of like you say, it's um to harken back to my youth a little bit. It's a very silk stockings kind of feel. Oh um, God, I'm not sure if that's a compliment. <laughs> it's, well, it's not, but but it has the same kind of feel. <laughs> Let's just be clear, Damn, it's, it's not. Dude. But but it doesn't mean that there's not a place for that, and that I didn't enjoy some I know, of that but stuff. I don't think the acting is. It's the bad. same kind of sleazy <laughs> that a show like uh nip tuck was and all of that stuff oh, you know man. Like, fx know used that. to do these things <laughs> and and sometimes they were good and sometimes they weren't usa did it you know first and okay i'll say this is a lowbrow version of the shield at least <laughs> yeah well it ain't nearly as cool as the shield yeah, I'll, I'll ride for that that show <laughs> all better the time than <laughs> it's way better than nip tuck that's for sure um and yeah nip tuck is a not a good show but but it has some deliciously bad like acting and bad stuff in it so it's fun to watch but yeah but this is that's the thing is you get Sofia Vergara because on Modern Family she plays this big big character you know and she kind of is a big (laughs) character and I mean like in terms of performance and I was about to say she's she's actually not a very big woman she's kind of small but she just because Hollywood people are so distortedly like miniature she looks huge next to them because she's normal she looks like a real person but she plays these big broad personalities that's what I mean and to see her play something that's much more dialed back here and much more sinister like first off it's not a secret that she's you know evil or whatever but on the other hand it's kind of fun to watch her do it because it's not something you get to see her play a lot of totally i i thought she kind of stumbled on some of her lines near the end during the big reveal but overall i did she did seem very comfortable playing this uh alluring yet very deceptive role but it it, it took a bit to kind of get used to it and i think I don't know if they film. Yeah, I mean, they film all movies out of order. So I didn't know if she was having to study certain takes and say, hey, I want to be a little more over the top in this scene or I want to be a little more subtle here. So I felt like some editing mishaps kind of killed this movie a bit, especially in her scenes. 
Cam, you're you're giving it a lot of credit, man. They probably had one take in an afternoon with no permits oh, and had to shoot this thing. So, right. well, that is it. Yeah, I mean, it is. It definitely. I mean, they could reveal in an autobiography one of these actors years later about the production of this movie, and we would probably find more than what we ever would find on IMDb. Right, right. Like, yeah, there's, there's no, there's no notes, there's no Everything good wiki. Is there's digital. So, if, yeah, if, they, if I'm, and, if the, and this movie is isn't built show, for that either. Like, it's, you know, it, it, it is what it is. But what I, what I'm saying is, I will, I will applaud her for giving this maybe more than it deserves. And I think her and Carl Urban are both giving this a lot more than it deserves. Andy Garcia seems to be giving it exactly what he thinks it deserves. And yeah. everybody else is, is what they are. But I, I feel like the two of them are trying to do things here that maybe are above the pay grade of this movie, but they're going to do it anyway because they're friggin' professionals. And I appreciated that. I it, it adds a little bit more to it because, again, this is such a cheesy-ass plot. And it's <laughs> it like, well, okay. I mean, at least it, at least it could be entertaining because how many at times you watch one of these and it's well, horrendous, you know? At well, least it's fun. At least it didn't happen over the top car chase or s- slow motion where someone goes, right yeah like i waited for that i was like where's my slow-mo where's my my michael bay fifty thousand cuts in a row (laughs) you know nobody and usually you're doing that because you're i mean bay does it for aesthetic but most of the time you do that stuff because you're trying to hide shit they ain't hide nothing in this movie half of this movie's in the daylight that's what kills me yeah, it, it is wild. It is like they could have done a nighttime thing. There wasn't any scene where the hero wakes up in his bed. No, something's wrong. <laughs> yeah, no it's dreams like, or none of that. He's got yeah. nothing to run home to except make sure he doesn't get killed. Or Just did he sleep time. the entire movie? I know he takes a shower, but I don't know that he ever actually he did. I think he downed a bunch of liquor at the beginning, right? Right, right. As like his, he drank that like it was his last drink he will ever have. <laughs> right like he's drinking a lot he's I mean, he, has, he has he has a couple beers you know but like i'm still like does danny ever actually lay down at any point in this movie i don't know that he stops he's I like think he gets more death stares than jason statham does in a typical you know okay yeah you, you yeah i'm glad you call that out carl urban somewhere along oh, the way either yeah. got the note or decided Whenever I need to not say words, but, you know, show that I'm angry, I'm just going to glower really hard at the camera. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to I'm just going to do my best Clint Eastwood meets Timothy <laughs> Oliphant from New Zealand. And <laughs> and that's where we're going to go. With. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not faulting the guy. I'm just telling you, I that's know. what he gave us. Because, again, and that's probably more than this movie deserves. But, uh. you know. He goes in and going. I I do like though that they give him this subplot that he has regrets with Kate. Like he's sitting outside of her place when he gets out of prison. He calls her and he's like, "I'm sorry, you know, they took your place away from you and all this." And so you kind of feel like the people that were after him, Driscoll and company, sort of went after her too to make sure that he stayed quiet and didn't fib and and all that stuff. And you know, she's like, "You didn't even celebrate your own birthday." And I'm like, "Of course not." He's like Martin Riggs. He's too badass to have. <laughs> <laughs> and why the hell is his surname gallagher i'm just saying like, i'm I, well, right like well i, I imagine because that's the character in the that's book. some rockford files logic i'm Simon, right. Simon. That's well the names the names in this movie are completely redonkulous like school 
there's no way that this woman's name is Kate either. <laughs> no, know, like, Kate no. Driscoll. No, it should be. Yeah, hell, they could have just called her Sophia Valez or some shit. It is right. Yeah, Re- Rebecca, which we know is a fake name, so whatever. But I mean, seriously, like it's all it's all ridiculous at, at this point. But I I did I did get a kick out of the way that they try to give him this sort of softer side. That you realize that there's one thing he still kind of lives for, but he doesn't like go out of his way to bother her. You know, he just wants her to know that he's alive and that she's okay and it's almost like he wants some validation from her. And I think Jimmy picks up on that too. And that's why he gives him that moment to reconnect with her. I feel like that's the first scene he read and it stuck out to him. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently that the Andy Garcia like liked that. And that that is the twist is that instead of sending you to your death where me and you're going to have to kill each other in the end, because I'm just as bent as everybody else. I'm going to go do it for you. I'm going to make it right. And you're going to go get the life that you deserved. It's just a weird predicament. Because like you say, I don't know what sane person would do that. And yet it does make it an interesting kind of. (laughs) Well, let's talk about that though. The way Jimmy does that, like when he gets the final phone call and you've seen a few moments with him and his wife, like he gives her this big hug and kiss goodbye and it's like a goodbye. And the way she's crying is like, he's prepared her for there will come a day when I get a call and I have to leave and I don't come back. And it's like, she knew that this was it, you know? So, but, but and I'll say this about, you know, Finn's Driscoll. I, I, I got, I don't know if that was supposed to be more developed than what we got on the screen. There's not a lot of this guy. I, I mean, I, his final scene is, you tell a lot about him. He's flaying this huge salmon or whatever. And that's the knife him and Andy Garcia get to fight with. And I was like, I mean, that's an interesting like character note that like apparently, I don't know if they wrote that or if he was like, I'm going to be the kind of guy who would like, I will fillet my own fish. And I'm so precise with it. Is it a New York city thing? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I mean, I took it as more of a, I'm so, I'm so, you know, in touch and on top of everything that I do my own fillet work, you know, and stuff like that. But he didn't see this coming, you know, out, out of nowhere. Because uh, Andy Garcia blows his bodyguard away and then comes at him with that that pocket knife, Chekhov's pocket knife, I called it. And uh, but he gets he gets a I mean he drives that stiletto right through him. That's a big old fillet knife. Um, but having filleted fish and use knives like that, Cam, I can tell you, it will not go through your chest. It is not the blade uh-huh. would break. It is not meant to do that. So that is just like no one can shoot a bullet for their shoulder and survive. <laughs> right. Well, also Carl Urban takes like two shots straight in the gut in this movie. I'm like, no, he's dead. <laughs> like, there's, like you don't survive those. Like, yeah, I'm thinking unless you've got two rounds of body armor, you're probably going down. Yeah. I didn't, like I didn't say, well. They never get sound effects right, but they especially don't get physics right. Cause <laughs> no. no, but I, I did, I did like the, the, uh, like I said, I thought the movie ended like at an hour and 18 minutes when Danny goes to run down evil accountant or whatever, whoever that guy was. And Rebecca shows up after they've had their shower sex. And he, like, he knows like here she comes and he's like, not surprised. And she's doing the like bond henchman evil speech. We missed out like, on some killer saxophone. Yeah. Yeah. Run away with me. You can do it together. And he's like, whatever, you know, and he blows her away. And, get on the axe. Yeah. You know, like, you, I mean, you see that coming, but, but when they like, they pan out this helicopter crane shot and the oh, music's God. playing and the cops show up, I'm like, shit, is this it? Is there 12 minutes of credits in this movie? And I'm like, oh. I was wondering how they were going to pace that out. And then, yeah, that's when all the other plot twists happen and other shit. And it's like, yeah, well, okay. So kudos to whoever edited this movie or planned it. 
But well, I actually I was gonna ding whoever did because they didn't get the note. Like somebody did this and they're like, this isn't the end of the movie. Oh, well, we don't have time to go redo that, so we'll just we'll just have to go with it. I'm mean, like, wow. do seem like they constantly were handing new dailies, so I think that's just it. They're trying to because like you say, it, it it does have signs of there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen and they're just yeah. coasting on through as best they can without trying to not compromise or look like the worst of any of the evils in the movie. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, yeah, they're, they're trying to make sure they know like what, what they've got going on. I don't know. It, it was, it was just funny the way that that ended, but then we, we do, and it is a good scene. And, and again, in a lesser done movie, you wouldn't take time to have a big breathy scene where two characters sit down and have a conversation and the big reveals happen through dialogue where he tells him like, Here's how I got on the bad side of this, you know, Driscoll guy. He saw me beat this guy to death because I lost my cool in the alley. And he <laughs> owned me just like he owned everybody else. And he owned Charlie because Charlie had gambling debts and he bought those debts from the Shylocks in town. And, you know, that's how he had him in his back pocket. And it wasn't supposed to go down like that, but Driscoll decided to cut ties. And, you know, and, and I mean, you know, you see Danny just seething, you know, underneath all this and he's betrayed and he's mad. And I give Carl Urban some credit for playing that, you know, about as good as you can in that moment. Cause again, it is a cheesy little film noir thing, but he's not like getting big. He's not yelling or anything. I I appreciated that. Totally. Anyone else would have wanted to ad lib or do just some other, just huff and puff, take a walk, you know, but yeah, yeah. He wants to get it at, well, and kudos to also the filmmakers, let alone how they adapted this to, you know, everywhere he goes, he gets a bit of information. So it's just great. It's like, it doesn't develop any subplots of characters who have no purpose. It doesn't start off with the, Hey, you're out of the joint. Let's go get a steak. You know, it doesn't do all that other, you know, happy beginning that, you know, totally doesn't prepare you for the depressing rest of the movie. It, it doesn't do what most movies do, but like, like you say, it, you do still encounter a few cliches along the way to where you just kind of got to go with it. And well, it, it does pay off in that. Yes. Uh, the fatalities are great. And the other outcomes are cool in that. Again, the characters keep learning something about their dangerous world that they inhibit as opposed to, well, that's cool and all, but the audience doesn't know what's going on and neither do they is like that. They, they just, rev- they take baby steps here and mm-hmm. there and it always has some kind of explosive outcome, whether it's a powerful reveal or again, like you say, a, one of the many endless fist fights. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, and it's, and let's say we get the kind of the twisted ending of Danny gets, sent to be freed versus going to what might've been his death. And Jimmy takes care of it for him, you know? And it's, I don't know. I, I appreciated that. I'd like I said, didn't see that coming. And then I certainly didn't see the let's reunite in the rain in the parking lot, uh, happen. But, uh, it's, it's, you realize Jimmy, even though he was bent and, and as crooked as anybody else, he still, felt like there was there was a chance for him to redeem himself but also to redeem his friend who had gone down this dark path totally he was a victim of basically the system he inhibited but also you know he he learned it without having to preach about it he basically is like okay here's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna make use of my time as opposed to look for a job or other bullshit you know yeah 
I got all again, you know, he knew he was going to prison. So that, that is cool that you picked up on that. I thought uh, I, I was, I did remember that. I was like, Hey, okay. So there's a backstory here. I'd like to know a little more about, but it's left to the viewer's imagination. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it totally is. And I mean, that's gosh, going the, down. <laughs> the fun part of it, you know, is to see how does it work. But the thing is, did it work for you? So Cam, we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, popcorn ratings. What are yours for bent? <laughs> this is a tough one to recommend. Cause like you say, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of cheese. So I'm, I'm going to go with just probably some uh, large, not extra large, but large enough. Because it's a fun Saturday kind of movie. There's enough for a Friday crowd, even though the plot does kind of feel like a Sunday night crowd. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you said that. It definitely feels like that late night Sunday night USA 1993 kind of thing. <laughs> but because you've got three actors who, again, and one of them less than the other two, are giving this maybe more than it deserves if it had just nobody you'd ever heard of in it i i think it more or less works it, it's not a bad watch and it's an easy watch it goes down real simple like i said you can throw this on and if you don't catch all the intricate web who cares you you more or less are gonna be able to follow it and if you like this kind of thing you can do a lot worse so i'm gonna give it a medium popcorn but it's like that good matinee kind of medium where it's not yesterday's leftover like they actually popped it fresh for you it's pretty decent so i'll give i'll give it a pass it's it's a medium popcorn but moreover it was a lot of fun talking about it with you cam sully tell folks again how they can keep up with the jacked up review show podcast and where they can follow all that jurs is on spotify apple iHeartRadio and plenty of other outlets. And again, we, we have just covered so many different kinds of that, uh, franchises. Again, Jay and I recently did two of Eddie Murphy's hit franchises, 48 Hours and Beverly Hills Cop. We got plenty of other ones coming up. We've been doing Star Trek months as a theme. So that's been fun. Pair them together based on where they are in that never-ending timeline of that franchise. we also tackled plenty of other forgotten shows like Deadwood or Captain Power. So, uh, you know, if it's a cult franchise that has a, we, we want to determine what, where is its placement in said pop culture? Why, why is it a thing? You know, why was there a bunch of groups dedicated to it? <laughs> Absolutely. Tons of fun. Can't recommend it enough. I've I been on the show a couple of times now, uh, the Clint Eastwood discussion. And then, like you said, the, the Eddie Murphy <laughs> duologies there. And there's a lot of fun to get into. So appreciate you coming on film strip folks. You can follow this show's social media at film strip pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You'll find announcements about upcoming shows, a link to our letterbox page, which has our entire list of reviews. 300 plus episodes check us out go to filmstrippodcast.com that'll link you to our anchor.fm distribution site you can find us on the podcast platform of your choice leave us a review where you can share the show on your socials as we appreciate the support once again thank you for listening to filmstrip thank you for listening to filmstrip you can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.